It's good to worship our risen Savior with you, church, this morning. As we continue our worship, we'll be turning to the Word of God. Today's scripture reading is taken from the book of James, chapter 3. James is nestled in your New Testament towards the end, right after the book of Hebrews, before the book of First Peter. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, you can find our passage today on page 1012. We'll be reading verses 1 through 12 of James chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a, spring for, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of God. Good morning again, church. We are back in the book of James. So if you're new to us, you're new to grace, um, we started in James a while back. We took a little break for the holidays, and in January we kind of do some more general topics, and now we're jumping back into James. So James is, we're entitling this Real Wisdom, Real Faith, and often James is seen as uh, almost a New Testament version of Proverbs or wisdom literature. James is really trying to just simp the, simply put, James is trying to teach us as the church, as Christians, what it means to live in the love of Christ, the law of love, or he calls it the law of liberty, the perfect law, the law of liberty. And so the book of James is, is him, Pastor James, telling us this is how a Christian's life should look when a Christian is living in love. And so obviously today, we're going to tackle this topic of the tongue and our words. If you're not there already, find James chapter 3. James chapter 3. They say that we speak on average about 13,000 words a day. Now that's the average 
They say women tend to speak 20,000 words a day and men 7,000 words a day. Okay, so ladies, <laughs> this sermon's for you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's just a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke. See, I'm already saying stupid things. <laughs> Our speech is a big deal to God, isn't it? Why? Because our speech reveals our hearts, and our hearts are a big deal to God. Our speech reveals what's inside of us. Proverbs ten nineteen, when words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Jesus said, what comes out of the mouth defiles a person. James has said, Back in chapter 1, verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. He warns against blasphemous speech. He warned against angry speech. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. He warned against hypocritical speech. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. He warned against insensitive speech. One of you says to the poor, to the needy, go in peace, be warmed, be filled. Without giving them the things they need for their body, what good is that? In chapter 4, he'll warn against slanderous speech. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. He'll warn against arrogant speech. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. He'll warn against grumbling speech. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters. And he'll, and he'll admonish us to have speech of integrity. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear. In other words, don't make an oath. Speech is all over this book. It's all over the Bible. It's important to God. And so today we pray, search me, O God. Show me if there's any wicked way in me. And listen, because of the gospel, because of the love and the forgiveness of God, we're not scared, are we? We can pray, search me, O God, reveal all the wickedness in me, and we don't have to be terrified of that prayer, do we? Because we know that we have the forgiveness of God on our side. Real wisdom, real faith. Real wisdom, real faith. Taming the tongue with the gospel. That's the title of today's sermon. We're going to talk about how do we tame the tongue with the gospel. How does the gospel tame our tongue? And I'm only going to give you one lesson I know, stop. <laughs> Here's our lesson. Your words are powerful, so guard your words and your heart with the gospel. Your words are powerful, so guard your heart and your words with the gospel. The Puritans, the Puritans used to talk about how you have to be loaded down with guilt and then you can be lightened with grace. 
This passage is a load. This is a passage where James is going to take us lower, lower, lower. And just when you're feeling the weight and saying, stop, please stop, he's going to give us a little hint of grace. And next week's sermon will be, will be blatant grace, okay? I'm going to give you the little hint today because I don't want to leave you discouraged. I want to load you down with guilt, and then I want to lighten you with grace, okay? Okay. You've been forewarned. So he's going to start by taking us low. Chapter 3, verse 1. In your Bible, chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. His immediate context here is a warning for teachers, a warning for those who stand up and speak and teach. He's saying, hey, if you're a teacher, you talk a lot. You use a lot of words, so be careful. Be warned. I think this is a rhetorical device. Obviously, we're supposed to be teachers. The Apostle Paul tells us that all of us should teach one another, Colossians 3. The Apostle Paul says, whoever desires the work of a bishop, the work of an elder, a pastor, desires a good work. And yet James gives us this warning. Because here's what we know. Here's, here's what we know as teachers, as those who are talking, as those who are discipling. This isn't, this isn't to say stop talking and stop discipling and stop teaching your children. This is to say just be careful because everything you say is being paid attention to and everything you say is going to come back upon you. I know that as a pastor. I get emails. I get questions. I get, well, you said this or you, you, you spoke about this. I remember this one time, Brady, seven years ago when you said this thing, seven years ago. I mean, literally, that has happened to me. I don't remember what I said yesterday. <laughs> Verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. This is our common sin, the, the common human sin. The, the, we, we don't all share the same sins, do we? But we share this one. We all say discouraging things. We all say things that we regret. So we need to have some humility. Every single one of us in this room can understand. James just says, we all stumble. Notice he even includes himself in that. We all stumble in many ways. We need to take an honest assessment of our words. Are they hasty, untruthful, sly, harmful, impure, discouraging, insulting, full of innuendo? And we need to have some grace and patience with each other, don't we? Because we all stumble in this. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble, he goes on to say in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. What does that mean? Why does James say that? Why does James say that if I, if I have perfect speech, I am a perfect person, and I am in control of my whole body? And, and again, I already said it, but I think here's the answer. I, here's what James knows. Here's the deeper truth that he's trying to teach us, is that your words reveal your heart. Show me a person who is perfect in their words. I'll show you a person who perfectly is controlling their heart. 
And if you are controlling your heart, you're probably controlling the rest of your life. Now, who amongst us is that person? Have any of you met this perfect man, this perfect woman, who has never said anything wrong or out of place, never lost their temper, never let something slip out? And of course, we know as Christians that there is one perfect man who has done this. His name is Jesus Christ. How do I know that Jesus Christ was the perfect man? Well, one of the ways, there's many, but one of the ways is I look at his speech. I look at what he said. He never misplaced a word. He was, he was hard with those he needed to be hard with, and he was gentle with those he needed to be gentle with, wasn't he? He never lied. And when he was reviled... He did not revile back, 1 Peter says. Jesus was perfect in every word that he ever said, which means he controlled his heart. And if he controlled his heart, he controlled his actions, his body. You see, this sermon today is going to condemn you. This sermon today is going to say, you're not perfect. If I got up here and preached a sermon on how many of you are committing adultery, probably most of you could walk out and go, dodge that bullet. If I, was if I was preaching a sermon about how many of you have committed murder, probably most of us would say, haven't done that one. But if the pastor gets up and, and preaches a sermon on how's your speech, how do you talk to each other? uh-oh, everybody's guilty. And what that means is we all need a Savior, don't we? At one point, Jesus said, Jesus said these haunting, terrifying words. Jesus one time said, every word you say, you will give an account of in glory, in front of the Father. <laughs> what? How long is that going to take? That's terrifying. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Because if you have not, you are going to stand in front of God, and He's not just going to ask you about murders and drug deals and adultery and the big ones. He's going to ask you about your heart He's going to ask you about your words. And I know what my answer is going to be on that day. Do you know what your answer is going to be? Because my answer is going to be, I talk to him, and I'm going to point to Jesus. <laughs> talk to him. He spoke for me. He interceded for me. He prayed for me. That's what I'm going to say. Is that what you're going to say? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone? Our words are powerful. James is going to show us this. He's going to, he's going to show us how our words direct and how our words destroy. Verses 3 and 4 and 5 
Our words are powerful. They can direct. He compares them to bits in a horse's mouth and rudders on a ship. Small, but they control something big. They direct. They, I, I, I don't ride horses and I don't sail boats, so I'm, I don't know what I'm talking about at this point. But I think I can understand his point. They are small things. We can direct the horse. We can direct the ship. Our tongue, our words can direct the course of a life. They can control a person's path, even destiny. They can change things. We had a, we had a funeral here a couple days ago for Betty Dawson, our dear sweet sister who went home to be with the Lord. And her daughter stood up right here in this spot and gave testimony about her mother's words and how her mother's words over the course of 15 years to this daughter's heart, a daughter and a mother that, that were struggling in their relationship, but Betty spoke love and kindness to her daughter and, and won back the relationship. Words can direct. They're powerful. They can, they can move the direction of a person's life. And our words can destroy, can't they? End of verse 5, verse 6. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. You see, we all have an inner arsonist, don't we? Who's running around just setting things on fire with the things we say, the, things, the, the way we speak to people, the tone of voice. Hell sets the tongue on fire, and the tongue sets the entire course of life on fire, James says. He's taken us back to the garden, Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, the serpent used words to set the world on fire. He used words to deceive and trick and cause us to doubt God. Words came out of his mouth, words set on fire by hell, and his words changed the course of history, and your words, my words, are still doing the same thing. The tongue is a world of unrighteousness, he says. When James talks about unrighteousness, he doesn't mean, he's not speaking about our relationship with God like Paul would be. When James speaks about unrighteousness, he means our relationship with each other. Our tongue is a world of unrighteous behavior towards each other. Matthew 5, 22. James has taken this straight from his big brother, Jesus. James is, James is the half-brother of Jesus. And so Jesus said these words in the Sermon on the Mount. I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. James is saying the same thing. He's saying that there is a hell inside of us, and it comes out in our words. That the devil 
The devil doesn't need big, grandiose things to destroy us. He doesn't need wars and rumors of wars. All he needs is for you to say that thing to him. Say that thing. That, you know the one, the one that pushes the button to her. He knows he's got you. He doesn't, he doesn't need you to go out and rob a bank. All he needs is for you to, to say that one word, that one phrase, to bring up that one thing. And you've lost the relationship. All you got to do is say that one thing to that little child and you've changed the course of their life. Why can't you be like When are you ever going to learn to? I can't get anything through your head. This class, you guys are always going to be my worst class. Oh, okay, then that's what we'll be. James says it stains our whole body. Again, it defiles our whole person. I think he's using the word body to mean person, our whole personhood. It corrupts all we do. Mean words, cruel words, angry words. Jesus said, if you look at your brother and say, you fool, you idiot, you moron, it's from the, it's the same word as moron, You moron! Hellfire. Hellfire. Our words can change the trajectory of our lives. Let's look at some some Proverbs together. Let's look at some Proverbs. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Wow. Wow. Do you realize that this morning? The whole course of life, it sets on fire the entire course of life. Proverbs 13, 3, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Proverbs 15, 4, a gentle tongue is a tree of life but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Whose spirit are you breaking? Do your words give life or do they break spirits? 16.28, a dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. How many relationships of yours have been irrevocably damaged because of words. Probably every single one of us in this room can think of one example at least of a relationship that isn't where it should be because somebody said something. Proverbs eighteen nineteen. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. In other words, it's hard to win people back. That's what he's saying. You offend somebody with your words, 
you, you, you got a battle ahead. If you, if you want to win them back, like Betty, you might have a 15-year battle ahead of you of brick by brick tearing down that castle. Proverbs 21.9, it is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. By the way, that one's in there twice. <laughs> For whatever that's worth. The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. This means that parents, if your words aren't matching your life, you are destroying your children. Why, why, do, why do teenagers and young adult Christians leave the church? Do you want to know the number one reason according to surveys? Not because the music got boring, not because the programs ran out. Here's what they all say. Because I saw that what my parents were saying and what they were doing didn't match up. And I said, if it's not working for them, why should I bother? That's what they say. Integrity. Are you blessing God here and then cursing at your kids at home this afternoon? Proverbs 20, 20. If one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. Kids, how do you speak about your parents to your parents? And then Proverbs 4.23. This is probably my favorite proverb. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. How do we guard our heart? See, we, this isn't going to be a sermon about guard your tongue. It's going to, it has to be a sermon about guard your heart. Here's how we guard our hearts. First, by doing exactly what we're doing right now, by going as low as we can go. See, by now, I hope you realize you cannot win this battle. I, th I hope I've got you so discouraged <laughs> and so desperate for something bigger than you, that's how you guard your heart, Christian. See, as soon as you think you can do it and you can figure it out and you're the one human who can, who can tame your tongue, you've lost. You've lost. You don't need Jesus anymore. Let's go lower. Let's go lower. Remember, here's our lesson. Your words are powerful. So guard your words, guard your heart with the gospel. Let's go lower. Verse 7. We've tamed everything but the tongue is basically what he's saying. I've seen lions jump through hoops. I've seen children ride on elephants, right? I once saw a lady on the back of dolphins at SeaWorld. We've tamed everything. We've, t we've conquered it all, except our tongues, <laughs> except our tongues. Verse 8, <clears throat> but no human being can tame the tongue. I want you to let that soak in. No human being can tame the tongue. 
James is offering us no self-help. He, he, the, next, the next verse isn't, so here's seven ways to tame your tongue. That was actually one of the websites I stumbled upon this week studying. Seven ways, this, was the, this is what it said, seven ways to control your tongue. I clicked on it, and guess what it was? It was seven verses from the book of James. Don't talk this way, don't talk this way, don't talk angry, don't talk this, don't. And I'm thinking, didn't you read verse 8 of chapter 3? No one can tame their tongue. Why are you telling me I can? Why are you putting me under this law? There are, it's, it's every website, do this, talk this way, you can do it. No, you can't. No one, no human being can tame the tongue. But there's a hint of hope in there, isn't there? Because there's someone beyond human beings, isn't there? God can tame the tongue. Christ, the God-man, can tame the tongue, can't he? It's a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. We're going lower. It's a, re- you know, restless evil. It's agitated. Your tongue is attacking. It's like that grizzly bear. You see it in the woods. You see that grizzly bear and you're like, is it going to charge? Do I, what do I do? Do I play dead? Do I run? What do I do? Oh, here, here comes my wife. <laughs> What's going to come out of her tongue? What do I do? Do I just lay down? Do I run? What do I do? Oh, here comes my boss. Here comes my father-in-law. Here comes my other. Here comes, uh, here come my kids. What are they? It's a restless evil, full of poison. And then verse nine, the lowest point. The lowest point. This nine should break our hearts. Nine should devastate us. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people. The word bless there, it's a, it's a liturgical word. It literally means, it's like what we do when we go to church. If James was here today in this context, he would stand up like I am now, and he would say, how can you go to church on Sunday morning, sing all those beautiful songs, and then walk out the door and talk nasty to people? But that's what we do. Curse. To curse somebody is to desire that they be cut off from God forever. You see, the fire of hell that comes out as our words turns into a cursing that wishes people would go to hell. Wishes people would just be separated from God. You say, well, I don't do that, Brady. I'm not that bad. But look, every time, every time you insult, every time you put down, every time you raise a bar of expectation that is not just not reasonable, and then get frustrated when people don't reach your expectations, every time you do that, you are, you are pushing them away from the mercy of God. Do you see that? And these are people that are made in the likeness of God. The ultimate image of God is Jesus himself. And from Jesus came humanity. From Jesus came those of us who were made in the image and likeness of God. Genesis 1. 
See, every single Christian in this room would defend Jesus to the death. Every single Christian in this room gets frustrated when Jesus gets made fun of. We all get frustrated when Jesus, when, when people use Jesus' name as a curse word, right? We, we, we write letters to the editor and we boycott TV shows and we don't go to those movies. And yet, those that are in the image of Jesus, they got it coming. He, she had that coming. I had, I had to speak that way to her because she deserved it. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Okay, here we go. We're about to turn the corner. Everybody take a deep breath. Verse 10. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Ought. Little word. Ought. This is the only place in the whole New Testament where that Greek word is used. Ought. It means it's unnecessary or unnatural. Or or ought means necessary and natural. It's necessary and natural. Things that are natural ought to happen. Birds ought to fly. Fish ought to swim. Everybody with me? And notice James, is, James goes into the natural world right after this, doesn't he? He starts talking about springs and plants. Ought. He's shifting our hearts to the gospel. He's starting to give us a little hope. Verse 11, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? No. No, that would be unnatural. Can a fig tree bear olives? No. That would be unnatural. Can a grapevine produce figs? Okay, we we get it, James. (laughs) That's unnatural. A salt pond, fresh water, just making sure you got it. No, no, James, we get it. Those things are unnatural. Okay, okay. Now, do you see it? Do you see his argument? We would never look at a fig tree and say, get to work making olives. Come on, buckle down. You can do it, figs. Come on, olives, olives. We wouldn't do that. We would, we would, that would be dumb, right? The salt, the, 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 we wouldn't jump into the ocean where it's salty and say, ocean, I think if you try harder and just, and just really put your mind to it, you can become a fresh water body of water. No! No. But that's how we approach our behaviors, isn't it? Buckle down. Try harder. Count to ten. Right? Count to ten. You got an anger problem? Seven ways to tame the tongue. Come on now. You see, 
The only way the tongue can be tamed is if we understand who we are naturally, or should I say, supernaturally. There's a di- there, I want to teach you what a gospel ethic sounds like. Because most of you in here that are Christians, you, you don't curse and you try to watch what you say and you try to say nice things. And if I asked you why, why, why don't you curse? Why do you try to say nice things? Likely, your answer would be something like, I don't talk that way because good Christians don't talk that way. That is a self-righteous ethic. Okay? And yet most of us, that's the ethic we live from. I don't lie because good Christians don't lie. I don't say curse words because good Christians don't say curse words. Oh, so you're the good Christian? Yeah, yeah, that's me, good Christian. I don't lie and say curse words. Okay. Dear God, I'm so thankful that I am not like that person over there. Remember that story? Here's a gospel ethic. Brady, why don't you lie? Why don't you say curse words? Why don't you say mean things? Here's the gospel answer. Because I don't need to. Because I don't need to. Because whatever battle I'm trying to win with that language, whatever way I'm trying to elevate myself with that language and put you down with that language, I don't need to do that. I don't live that way because that's what good Christians do. I live that way because Jesus has won the victory for me, and so I don't have to use my words to win the victory anymore. I don't need to. That's a gospel ethic. Why, why no hypocritical speech? Because that's unnatural. That's unnatural for somebody in Christ. Why, why do I need to act one way with you and a different way with somebody else? Why would I need to do that? Why would I need to promote myself in that way? Why would I need to make sure that I look good in those different places or sound good? Why would I have to do that? Why no grumbling? Because that's unnatural. It's unnatural for me in Christ. It's un- it, why do I need to grumble? Why, why do I need to complain about something that is temporal when I've got eternity ahead of me? Why slanderous speech? Why no slanderous speech, Brady? Because that's unnatural to me. That's unnatural. Why, why would I have to put you down? Why, do I, why would I feel the need to do that? I would only feel that need if I didn't believe in my heart that Christ has raised me up. So, so why, why would I talk? Ang, angry speech, you fool, you moron. That's, unna, that's unnatural. 
Why, do, why would I ever need to get so angry at you that I'm going to call you names if I believe in my heart that God loves me and God loves you? See, what, see what's happening? As the gospel overtakes our minds and our hearts, the natural, the fig tree will produce figs. The grapevine will produce grapes. The salty will be salty, and the fresh will be fresh. As the gospel overtakes my mind and heart, what flows out will no longer defile me, as Jesus said, but it will actually encourage and build up the body. Do you see it? Do you see it? Next week's sermon, James is going to Dig deeper into it. Wisdom from above. He just gave us a little hint today. We get a little hint. But as we walk out of here today, we're going to sing, Yet not I, but through Christ in me. That's the song we're about to sing. Christian, meditate on that, on that truth. Meditate on that reality. If I have all I need in Christ, then why on earth would I need my words to destroy and burn down everything around me? I don't. I don't. And that's how God tames the tongue. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, you are the righteous one. You, you, you're tongue was tamed. Everything you ever said was, was the exact right thing to say at the exact right moment, Jesus. No lies, no blasphemy, no slander. Encouraging, challenging, exhorting, warning. You did it all perfectly. Jesus, you are our Savior. You're our substitute. May your verbal record be mine. When we stand before the throne, may the account we give of our words be your words, Jesus. What you said. Words like, Father, forgive them. Words like, into your hands I commit my spirit. God, may... may you see us in light of the cross. And now, Jesus, you live in us. You live in all of us who have accepted you and trusted in you. Jesus, live through us. Remind our hearts today of your deep love for us. Remind our hearts of your deep respect for us. Remind your heart, our hearts of your acceptance of us, of the safety we have in you, of the power we have in you. And Jesus, let us have the mind, your mind, so that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts may be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our Redeemer. Amen.